So a few weeks ago when the elders came together to, uh, uh, to pray and talk about 2023, the, 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 the first thing that we wrote down that we wanted to emphasize for this year was worship. And I quickly offered that I could uh, offer some thoughts on that. And so I will be sharing with you both this morning and next week. Uh, sorry, you get me two weeks in a row. But we think this is important. And, and honestly, a lot of what I'm going to share for some of you are, is going to be a reminder. I don't know about you, but having been a Christian now for 50 years, I find that when I read the Bible, there's not a whole lot of brand new stuff that I find when I read. There just isn't. But there's a lot that I need to be reminded of. Anybody with me on that? And so that's why we do it. And so that's what I'm doing this this morning, just to... I think it'll be a good, it was a good reminder for me, let's say that, putting this together. So let's pray. Father, we ask that as we, as we consider what you would speak to us this morning, we're inviting you to remind us of things that we know, to show us things that we need to know, to help us to understand better how to fully worship you the way that you'd want us to. Your word says that you're seeking those who will worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, may we be found among those that you are seeking. Amen. So if you wanted to get a picture of what true worship should really look like, where would be a good place to go? Well, I would suggest that perhaps some of those snapshots that we see in the book of Revelation, where they're gathered in the presence of God around the throne, the, you know, we get to see the, the real thing going on there. I think that might be a good template, a good pattern for us. So we're going to look at just a couple little snippets from Revelation, and then I'm just going to talk about those some. So Revelation chapter 5 should be in your notes there, uh, beginning in verse 8. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And then we're going to jump ahead two chapters to chapter 7 beginning in verse 9. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Whew. These scenes, and th this is just a small part. I mean, you can read the whole thing in context if you want to at some point. We're just trying to save a little time. Th these are what I would refer to as untarnished or untainted worship. They're not, they're not marred by sin. 
They're right there in the presence of God. And so if we want to see what, what real worship might look like, I think this is a, uh, gives us a good snapshot. So what can we learn from these? Well, I've got four points there in your notes, um, and I'm going to just kind of expound on them a little bit. True worship has a singular fixation on God. A singular fixation on God. There appears to be no distractedness at all, not even anything to distract the worshipers. It's like the only thing that even exists is the worshipers and God. Like that's it. They're solely focused on Him. Years ago, I attended a a Christian conference and there was a man speaking there in some of the the general sessions and he mentioned that prior to this conference he had been in another city on some business with a friend of his and uh, over a weekend and while they were there over the weekend they went to a a church service on Sunday morning and as they were leaving the church service that Sunday morning the friend turned to this man and he said you know I really enjoyed the sermon there this morning but I didn't get much out of the worship and this man said he looked at his friend he said have you ever considered what that's got to do with anything See, what he was saying is, who is the worship for? If you understand that word worship, it's not for us, it's for God. It's our our focus being on Him. Now, I will say that that not everything that we sing is worship. Not everything that we sing should be worship. But when we are worshiping, our focus should be on God. Our our son, Stephen, several years ago, he attended a Christian conference. And when he came back, he told us that when they started the conference, that the, the house lights, the lights in the sanctuary, the auditorium kind of went down real dim, and then these bright colored lights came up on the, on the platform, on the stage area up in front, and the band was already there in place, um, but a guy came out who was kind of leading the conference, and he said, we don't want you to view this as a show, and Stephen said he was sitting there in the congregation watching this, and he, in his mind, he's going, if you don't want us to view this as a show, why does it look like a show? And understand, this is, not a, this is not a generational thing that I'm talking about here. Stephen was only 22 when he was there, but he understands that the point of worship is to put our focus on God. You know, the, the guy that I think is one of the most uh, quotable people I've ever encountered, A.W. Tozer, over 60 years ago, he said this, a church that can't worship must be entertained, and men who can't lead a church to worship must provide entertainment. Whew. More than 60 years ago, he said that. How much more is that true today? If all we've got are some talented musicians that can put on a good show, we may as well all go home. The world can offer that. Worship, true worship, has a singular fixation on God. Let me try to hit this from a little different angle. I want you to think about two things that are pretty common in our culture. Uh, Driving a car and going to an entertainment area or district and what i'm talking about there there are more and more uh around the country popping up uh an area or a district that has theaters and arcades and maybe i don't know axe throwing or escape rooms or all those different kinds of things where you can go you can spend as much time as you want simply being entertained all right so two things driving a car going to an entertainment area i want you to think back when you first got your license there was it must have been pretty good, huh, Trish? Okay. We'll, we'll hear that story later. Uh, there, if you're like most people, there is, when you get your license, there is this newfound sense of freedom, of independence. When we drive a car, there is an autonomous feeling that 
I can do anything that I want to. I can go any place I want to, do whatever I want to. Something about that driving a car gives us that independence, that freedom. So you drive your car to that entertainment area, that entertainment district, and you can spend as much time as you want, a day, more than a day, being entertained. All right, now hear me on this. I am not suggesting that there is anything emphatically wrong with either of those, all right? But I do think that when we gather together like this, that we need to set aside those kind of mindsets. See, when we come together, I can't just go wherever I want to go. I have to allow God to take me where he wants me to go. It's not about me. And it's not about entertainment. I didn't come here to be entertained. We need to have the mindset that we're coming to honor God. Are you with me? It's all about him, not about us. A man named Stephen Miller, not our Stephen Miller, a different Stephen Miller, he said this, we dare not approach the throne of an objectively great, timeless, unchanging, and holy God with a consumer mindset that says we can only worship him if our subjective preferential demands are met. So the next time you go to church and the music is too loud or the leader is singing that song you don't like, go to war. Fight against the sin at work within yourself. Fight against consumerism and disunity. Fight for a grateful heart. Fight for the truth to captivate you in a way that music never could. Fight to stand in awe of a mighty God who rescued you and graciously sings over you. I love that. He's saying, get your focus off of yourself. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, it's really easy to get distracted. It's really easy for me to just to kind of go through the motions, and I find I need to fight those tendencies to bring myself back to having that singular fixation on God. Eugene Peterson, he's the guy that wrote the message translation of the Bible. He said this, Worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. I'm pretty sure I am not the only person here that has a preoccupation with self. And so we need to interrupt that and put our focus on God. Years, many years ago, I was the main worship leader here and we were having a special evening service and I, I was never full-time. I had a full-time job. And so I was running a little bit late that night for the service uh, compared to what I normally would have. And so I'm feeling a little bit pressured. And I went into the copy machine room back here to make copies of the song list for that night. And I, I took my guitar out of the case and leaned it against the wall, just like I had done many times in the past. I went over to make the copies. And as soon as I hit the button on the copy machine, I heard this scraping sound behind me. And I turned around just in time to see my handmade 12-string Alvarez Yari guitar sliding down the wall and it hit the floor and the neck broke and the head snapped off. And I felt nauseous. And it wasn't that I had to have that particular guitar. My backup guitar was already set up in here ready to go. But that was my guitar, if you understand. And <laughs> you do. And I was mad. But mostly at that point, I was mad at God. Because he could have stopped that. Fortunately for me, it was probably around the, somewhere in, during the first song that night that I got the right perspective. And I said, God, you are worth more than all of the musical instruments on the planet combined. <laughs> and I chose to turn my focus toward him. Worship isn't about me or what I want or what I can get out of it. 
Worship is about choosing to fix our gaze on the one who has created and redeemed us. I like the song that we do, Oh, Praise the Name of the Lord Our God, the line in there that says, My gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. The worship in Revelation, we see that a singular fixation on God. Second, true gathered worship is a group activity. Think of those scenes that we read in Revelation. One of the primary things that stands out to me is that the, the, the whole group is doing the same thing at the same time. Now, I know that if you read through Revelation that the scene kind of keeps unfolding and different things are happening. I, I get that. It's not the same thing happening all the time. But when worship is going on, it's always a group of people who are doing it. There's a collection of folks, if you will. There's the, the four living creatures. There's the 24 elders. There's all the, the saints. There's the, the, the angels all gathered there. There seems to be no individual aspect to gathered worship, if I can say it like this. See, in our society, the individual is prized. In the minds of most people, their own needs and wants trump the needs and wants of others. As a culture, we are horrendously selfish. And unfortunately, that's also very often true in the church. Christian pollster George Barna said it like this, a growing obstacle to genuine worship is the rampant individualism that characterizes so much of our society. And he's right. See, having lived with that kind of mindset throughout the week, we have a tendency to bring that individualized mindset into worship with us. And so as we're going through, no matter that right now everybody else is standing, I don't feel like standing. Or no matter that everybody else is, is praying together, I need to check my text messages or my Facebook posts or whatever. And please understand, I'm not suggesting that anybody here would ever do anything like that, all right? But it's an individualistic mindset that I have seen often as I have traveled that is totally and completely foreign to the worshipers who are gathered around the throne, what we just read there in Revelation. And, and as I'm saying this, please understand, I am not asking you to be excited or even necessarily like what I'm saying. But I will say this, that just, I am asking us to, just like we allow scripture to guide and inform us in our everyday lives in other areas, we need to do the same thing in worship. Because otherwise, we're just kind of left to our own ideas of what's appropriate. And I, I'll, I'll say something else that kind of is related to that. As we're going through here today, if you're feeling convicted in any area about something that I'm saying, that's actually a good thing. You and I know what to do with conviction, right? We repent, we turn. That's a good thing. We get forgiveness for it. So don't shy away from that. From an honest biblical perspective, there should be, there is and should be, a a, a congregationalness to our congregational worship. We see it clearly in the worship in Revelation. Number three, true worship is passionate. The worship in Revelation is not half-hearted. It's full out. More than 250 years ago, John Wesley, great hymn writer, said, Sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep, but lift up your voice with strength. 
And he's right. We need to do that. When, when, we're, when we're excited about something, when we're, we're enthusiastic about it, what do we do? We get loud. I think maybe John Wesley's got a point. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. How do we do it with all and do it halfway? Can't. You can try it this way. Suppose I were to tell you that Barbara and I believe in the concept of love. We believe in love. We believe it's a good idea. We believe we're in love. But what if I told you that there's never a gentle touch, there's never a kind word, there's never physical passion. We believe in love, we just never demonstrate it. By the way, that's not true. <laughs> but, but if it were true, my guess is you'd probably tell me my marriage is in trouble. But see, I'd say the same thing to us about our relationship with God. If all we ever do is like think some nice thoughts or mumble a few words, I think we're missing a big part of the relationship. True worship should be full out, wholehearted, passionate, not halfway. All right, and one more, and this one is kind of similar to the last one, but there's enough difference that I felt like I needed to differentiate. There's a total involvement in true worship. And by that, I'm saying that we're not passively sitting and observing what's going on. The, the, you, know, you look at those, those worshipers there in Revelation, they're singing, they're praising, they're shouting, they're, they're, they're falling on their faces, they're waving palm branches. You know, all of these, uh, these actions that we see in other parts of the scripture, they're actually playing it out, living it out right there. All of these expressions of worship. There's a, a full-out involvement that's going on. A, a man that had a, a big impact on me and my teaching on worship is the late Dr. Robert Weber. And he said this, worship is not something that someone does to us. It is not something someone does for us, but it is something done by us. The, the most common Hebrew word from the Old Testament that we translate as worship literally means to bow down before. The most common Greek word that we translate as worship from the, the New Testament literally means to kiss the hand toward. It has the connotation of blowing a kiss. There's a, there is an involvement. There's something that we're doing, if you will. Now, I will say this. I am keenly aware that, especially as we get older, there are more and more physical limitations that we're dealing with, all right? But I want to challenge us to not use that as an excuse. Now, if you are dealing with real physical limitations, I'm not talking to you right now, all right? But for somebody, for, for many people, we have a tendency to use that as an excuse. Let me do it this way. I find, as I get older, it's a whole lot easier for me to remain seated than it is for me to kneel down. But the fact is that it was a whole lot easier for me to remain seated when I was 25 than it was to kneel down. Just saying. So I'm just challenging us to not use that as an excuse. So I will say this, that throughout Scripture, there are lots of physical actions that were commanded uh, in worship. And we see some of those being, again, lived out, portrayed there in those passages in Revelation. But as I look at those various places in Scripture where those things are commanded, I don't see any of those where it says that they're supposed to do it if they enjoy it or if they feel like doing them. 
Uh Uh-oh, now he's meddling. See, Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments, right? So think about some of the ways that we're physically in Scripture commanded to worship God. I just want to look at a few of these just real quickly here. Singing, 1 Chronicles 16, 9. Sing to him, sing praises to him. You know, somebody told me that there's over 700 references to uh, music in the Bible. I think there's a special place in God's heart as we sing to him. And we see it over and over and over, which is why we do it as we gather together here every time we gather together, right? How about raising hands? Psalm 134, verse 2, it says, lift up your hands and bless the Lord. That's not the only place that one, uh, that idea is mentioned in Scripture either. We're told to do that. I think there is something about putting ourselves in a posture of surrender that is good for us and is pleasing to God, if I can say it that way. How about clapping? Psalm 47, verse 1, it says, clap your hands, all peoples. It doesn't differentiate there between uh, clapping along with the music and applause. It just says clap. I think we ought to do it. Getting quiet, you guys. Kneeling. Psalm 95, verse 6, it says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. There is, there is something about bending the knee and humbling ourselves before our Creator that we need to do both for ourselves and for Him. Say, God, you are everything, I'm nothing. And shouting, shout for joy to God. You know, I kind of got loud when it said those passages in Revelation where they spoke with a loud voice. You know, if you think of, of, of speaking as a continuum, we can whisper, we can shout. There's lots of places in between there, right? See, I think most of us spend most of our time someplace in this range. But if we're really excited about God, if you go to a football game or whatever, where's, where's your range then? So I'm just, I'm just challenging us. Maybe we should just you know, dial it up a little bit. Okay, tough crowd here this morning. And, and keep in mind that, that those ones that I just shared, that's just a few. I mean, there are so many. We could go into, we could spend, I, I, I said that, um, taking a, typically I would teach five, five and a half hour seminars roughly on Saturdays about worship. So I'm trying to do this in a really condensed form. Um, so this is, is tough. But, so there's a lot more that we could talk about, but that's just a few. But when we see those things in scripture, I think we need to pay attention. They, they, they don't seem to be like suggestions to me, right? I mean, he's telling us we should do it. Let, let, me, let me try this from a different angle. Some of you have heard me use this illustration before. My wife and I have been married for 44 years. Actually, 44 years, five months, and 20, almost 24 days. Because of that longevity, and we were high school sweethearts before we got married, all right? So we've known each other for a really long time. Because of that longevity, I know some of the things that I can do that will bring a smile to her face, some of the things that I can do that will make her happy. But let's say that one day I find a list that she has written of things that if I were to do, would really make her happy. And I take a look at the list and I think, (laughs) I don't need this list. I know what to do. Yeah, every woman right now in the place is going, you are an idiot, Tom. (laughs) Because if she's telling me and I'm ignoring it, are you with me? Could I suggest that perhaps God has given us a list in scripture? Oh, maybe not a line by line, but you can find them in there. 
and we have a tendency to ignore them. Many years ago, I read a book that really influenced my thinking about many years ago, uh, like mid-70s is when this book came out, uh, influenced my thinking about worship. It was called Up With Worship by Ann Ortland, and she said this, Worshippers all have to be taught how to worship. We may have gone to church for years and yet never developed our worshiping muscles. Let none of us assume we know how. In fact, the scenes in the book of Revelation seem so foreign to us, we probably know much less than we think we know. I think she's right. All right, let me, let me start to close this by, um, by emphasizing here that the, the actions that I'm talking about here uh, they need to be presented to God not as an act of duty out, out of obligation, but as a sincere expression from our hearts. We, we don't just go through the motions. So again, another illustration you've probably heard, but this is the, the best way that I know how to illustrate this. Uh, and that is that my wife loves fresh cut flowers. If one day I were to walk in the door of our home, hand her a bouquet of flowers, she might say, oh, honey, flowers, how sweet. Why'd you do that? If I said, Duty, I felt obligated to bring you those flowers. Doesn't that automatically diminish the gift? But if I were to walk in the door of our home, hand her a bouquet of flowers, she might say, oh, honey, flowers, how sweet. Why'd you do that? If I said, it's an expression of my love for you. Doesn't that totally change the whole thing? See, God wants the the physical actions, but they need to be motivated by a heart that's turned toward him. All right, there's a, I think in your notes, is there a website listed there? Yes. You guys are on, if you're not on Right Now Media, uh, let us know because we can get you on, you're part of the congregation. That's a website, you can just go on and Google my name, or not Google, but look, search my name on Right Now Media. I've got a six-part series on worship in there. If you're interested, there's other stuff um, that I've got, but that, you can check that out. If you want more than what you're getting this morning, you can get a whole bunch of stuff on there. Um, about worship that's really practical and good. All right, one final really important thought before I close. First, the, the bad news. On our own, apart from Christ, we can't do any of this. We just can't. Our natural inclination is to be selfish, to do what we want, not what God wants. But the good news is that we've been made new creatures through Jesus' death and resurrection. We've been given a new nature we don't have to act selfishly. We can actually do what God wants us to do. We can offer true worship because Jesus has made us able to do it. 1 Peter 2.5 You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. Stop right there. That idea of us being the spiritual house, the holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices. Give me one word that talks about what that, that's talking about right there. Worship, there you go. We can offer worship to God, acceptable to Him, how? Through Jesus Christ. You get that there? It's only because of what Jesus did on the cross that even our praises are made acceptable to Him. And it's only because of what He did that we are empowered, if you will, to even come before Him and worship Him in spirit and truth. But... The good news, like I said, is he has done that and we can because of what Jesus did. True worship has a singular fixation on God. True worship in a group is a group activity. True worship is passionate and true worship requires total involvement on the part of the worshiper. Let's pray. 
Lord, your word says, again, that you are seeking worshipers, that, that you want us to come before you in spirit and truth, to honor you, to worship you, to give you our all, to put our focus on you. Lord, we ask that as we've looked briefly this morning at some of these ideas from your word, God, that we would, that we would be convicted, that we would uh, hear your Holy Spirit speaking to us where we need to make alterations to make changes. We, we, we ask that you would, at that point, then empower us to make those changes, to, to go forward fully as your worshipers, engage with you the way that you want us to be. Lord, we desire, again, to be those worshipers that you are seeking. And so we ask that you would, in your mercy, cause that to become more and more of a reality. And we thank you that you will, because you're so faithful. You're so good. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.